0: The
1: Firestore, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Firestore makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Firestore's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Firestore's goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit the firestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the November edition of Fireground Strategies and Other Stuff from the Street on Fire Engineering Talk Radio with Jim Duffy and Chief Anthony Avello. Hello, brother. What's happening, my friend? Oh, we're gonna- My grand brother. We're gonna bullshit like we usually do. Um, We only talked five minutes ago what we were gonna talk about today, tonight. And um, I think it's a a relevant subject. We're gonna talk about all things training and teaching. We're gonna go all over the place. How to begin, uh, how to control your ego and things like that. But first, Chief Miller, I'd like to ask you about the uh, high-rise conference you were at yesterday. Um, that's a big deal. Uh, some great speakers. You had the opportunity to join. Yeah, well, um, I, I didn't speak.
0: Um, it was. Uh, it was. I know that uh, right by. Uh, yeah, it was right by New York City Fire Headquarters. It was the Metro Center in Brooklyn, and I went over there with some of the, the, the guys I taught with at the Fire Academy. Uh, we were invited by Jack Murphy, and I mean, you were invited too. I thought you were coming, but uh, I, I guess not. Um, but it was—they um, do it every year. It's the 35th year. It's the New York City, uh, uh, the uh, the Fire Safety Managers Program, uh, and in the high rises, and uh, they do a, a. It's it's basically like the the FDNY sort of telling these sort of high rise, uh, people that run the high rise programs, you know, like what it, what it is that we need, what it is that we do, uh, how can you help us? How can we help you type of thing? And, uh, they had, uh, some great speakers. Um, they had Steve Marser was on and he was on with another, a captain, which I, I don't remember his name. Uh, Steve Marser, he teaches at the FDIC. He did, a he did a really good program. And, uh, And they had this younger kid on that did something about like the refrigeration systems and the HVAC systems and all the different coolants that they use and uh, um, different, uh, you know, the toxicity of these things. And some of them are flammable. Some of them are explosive. And, uh, you know, you get a a leak in one of your chiller units. You know, first of all, where is the chiller unit? You know, uh, what's actually leaking? What, What are the problems that it can cause? He uh, was a young kid too. He was only he just got promoted to lieutenant, and he did a really nice job. And then uh, they, um, it, it was uh, master of ceremonies with Jack Murphy, uh, who is like the head of the uh, fire safety uh, managers in the city. Fire sa- I forget FDSM. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the exact name of it, but it's the fire safety managers and the high rises. Each high rise has a fire safety manager, and what they were trying to do is impress on them to know your building so intimately that you can be an asset to the fire department when you come in there, because there's so many high rises and the fire safety director in these buildings can, you know, uh, be an absolute, uh, unbelievably valuable resource for the fire department, looking for information. And, uh, so it was really good. And the last speaker was of course, another one of our grand brothers, Jerry Tracy and Jerry Tracy did, uh, he did a, a class that you know is is all about um, you know what's going on in these buildings now. What can we expect in the future? You know the 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 uh, you know the artificial intelligence, the the intelligent building, the the things that are in place in in these buildings and will be going into place in these buildings as we move into the future. That. Um, you know it can create some some major problems for the fire department and again the the knowledge and experience and uh and res- resourcefulness of the fire safety directors is going to you know uh allow it to be uh uh you know not a nightmare for the fire department or the people that live in there it was a really good program and uh you know you talk about teaching um Jerry Tracy is like one of the best, man. He is, he's so passionate. He is so on his game and they have the book out, you know, the high rise, uh, firefighting book, you know, the vertical, the vertical environment. And, you know, there was a guy there from Toronto. Uh, he didn't speak, but he was there. He redid like the entire, uh, uh, fire safety and the high rights program, the Toronto fire department. He was there. I think that was Brett Brooks or Brent Brooks. Um, but it was a really, really, uh, I hadn't been there in a few years and it was really cool um, because, you know, for some of these uh, guys in Manhattan, like, you know, they're, they're. I hate to say it, their bread and butter is the high rise building, you know, whereas, you know, for you and me, you know, that's not our bread and butter. That's more of our, you know, high risk, low frequency, you know, and, uh, you know, if, if, if this is what you have in your jurisdiction, just like any building, whatever you have, you have to be an expert at. You know, and uh and Jerry Tracy came across really well. He uses metaphors and you know, he's funny and uh you know, he wrote the uh, the uh forward actually of the fourth edition of Fireground Strategies, which will be coming out. So um, you know, I, I owe him a debt of gratitude for that. But it was uh it was a really good conference and uh I was glad to have been invited there.
1: Yeah, that's great. I'm glad to hear uh, a a friend of mine from my volunteer days way back when um, he's a safety manager for a group of high rises mm-hmm. in Manhattan. You know, it's a private, it's a private job. Mm. You know, and he's he's and he has to do the, the fire drills in these high rise apartment buildings. And you know, the people don't want to. You know, why we did this a couple years ago? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the the building super, you know, sometimes it's not cooperative. You know, it's going to cost money, and you know. Uh, all those things and you brought up the high rises actually the conference did yesterday but for the far system is the way of the future mm-hmm. it's probably going to be a hundred years before that's a, adapted everywhere but newer buildings i think it's an incredible idea mm-hmm. i think it'll make firefighters safety it'll make um the people who live there safe because the firefighters will be more efficient instead of carrying up dozens and dozens of bottles up to the 34th floor or the 60th floor. You know, there's going to be a standpipe with breathing air in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a great idea. I don't know that much about it, but I do believe that it's the future. Well, it's, I really do. It's like an air standpipe,
0: you know, and they were there, actually. The people that yeah. were um, – uh, the forest people were there yesterday – um yeah it's like a stand, uh, air stamp pipe the the thing is though and it and and to put it in is only like pennies on a dollar for the builder yeah uh but i believe the way it runs and and the way it is is it has to be um adopted by a city ordinance so i believe like sacramento has it i think oakland has it there's a bunch of places out west that have it um um trying to think of who else. a couple down south too yeah like southwest too i think texas um, but, you know, I, I had thought some of the East Coast apartments were going to uh, embrace it. And I guess they haven't yet. Um, I, I can't understand why you would think that if it's penny on a dollar and you're going to, you know, uh, be, uh you know, the, the builder is going to be absorbing that cost. He's just going to add that onto the rent or whatever else it happens to be. And, you know, if you go into a place like, you know, North Hudson or a lot of these places, they're giving these uh, builders like, you know, you know tax breaks for like you know twenty five years, you know, and uh, you yeah. know so. You know I I don't see. Yeah, reason why they're not doing this?
1: And and it, well, the builder got yeah. the builders' lobby is so strong. Yeah, same thing with residential sprinklers. They don't want to absorb the cost of that. Mm-hmm. They don't want to. You know what? Like you said, you pass it on. Um, when you're building a new building, the cost is next to nothing especially in residential sprinklers um it costs nothing now for me to retrofit my house would cost a fortune right but if you're building a new house you know um platform construction boom 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 you know um the sprinklers are in and i think i can only guess it's the same with the far system while you're building it you're running a standpipe Right next to the standpipe, you run your, your hose and and you're good to go. Yeah, it's just gonna be PVC. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's additional I mean, there is additional equipment
0: and it probably has to be tested, you know, every year or so to, to be certified and everything. But you know, you know, and, and what's the other interesting thing about it is you, you can put it in your vertical high-rise. You can put it in a warehouse, you can put it in a tunnel. Yep. You know, like like the you know, like why why couldn't the Lincoln Tunnel have something like that? you know, or, uh, yep. you know, or, or a big long, you know, million square foot Amazon warehouse, you know, because there are fire areas like fire separations in there and you just put them on different ends, you know, different sections of the fire separation. And now, you know, you don't got to bring all them bottles inside, you know, it's it's uh, un- unfortunately, yep. what happens is we don't get cooperation from the people we're trying to protect.
1: Exactly, but again, the builders, they're in business, you know, to build a building, get paid for it and move on to the next one. Right. You know, they're not going to end up being the owners in the future. So get it done, move on, and don't add an extra cost. To, yeah, don't add an extra cost to my, you know, my um, proposal. I don't know what else to call it, the bid process. Yeah. Or oh, now there's another thing, you know, and and then the cost of the building gets prohibitive for the spec guy who wants to make money renting the apartments out of the offices. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, it's tough and it's, it's everything, you know, um, I'm going to talk about long Island a little bit, the town I grew up in, they, they built two 10 story buildings. Now they're planning on putting two 11 story buildings mm-hmm. in it's protected by an all volunteer department, you know, and I look at that and you know what, they do a great job, but it's crazy you know and they, and they give these people tax write for so many years yeah. and you know um the the zoning and the codes and all that become a nightmare it just was a small little village now it's a small little city you know and it's um People aren't looking at, you know, what those buildings are going to be like 20 years from now, 50 years from now, Mm -hmm. and and things like that. At at least they're sprinkled. You know, a lot of our our
0: residential high-rises in North Hudson are not sprinkled. In fact, most of them are not sprinkled.
1: uh, And I bet a lot of them don't even have standpipes. They they do.
0: They do. Yeah. They They all do? They all have standpipes, but most of the older ones don't have sprinklers. It just was just wasn't part of the game back then, I guess. You know, the new ones do. Yep. But the old ones don't have
1: them. Wow. Just
0: don't have them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then there's the upgraded mill buildings that they compartmentized to make apartments out of. So they were old, um, heavy timber um, mill buildings, and now they put sheetrock walls up, and they only have the sprinklers in the hallways. The apartments aren't sprinkled and Mm -hmm. things like that. Even though they're only five, six, maybe at the most seven stories, um, but they've changed how the building was built, you know, and how you have to fight fires. I mean, mill building, we all think, oh, this is no problem. This isn't going to fall on my head. Mm -hmm. This isn't going to, you know, there's no, but now it's, it's not what they built in the 1890s and the 1900s. They're just a whole different animal. And we have to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, let's get to our subject. Uh, Like I said at the beginning, at the intro, we're going to talk about all things training and teaching and what we should be thinking about whether we're hiring an instructor or assigning our people to teach the on-duty shifts or in a volunteer house on a Monday night or Sunday morning whenever they do the training. The people you assign to teach, I know if you're a certified FIRE 1, you can teach any class that you're certified in. But as a chief of a department, you need to make sure that they are proficient in the skill they're teaching. Example, I was a suburban firefighter. Biggest building I ever fought a fire in was uh, seven or eight stories. I don't remember. Um, But most of our stuff is, you know, taxpayers, commercial buildings, and private dwelling fires. Now, I've made it a business talking about private dwelling fires and house fires, one and two story. I'm not gonna go out and teach high rise fires. You know, um, my credibility, first of all, is not that great in it because it's not what I did. It also, I'm not good at it. Get somebody to come in who knows high rises. If you have new high rises being built in your district or you have several high rises, Don't bring Jim Duffy. That's not my expertise. Although I can talk about what I learned in the class I took. It certainly doesn't make me an expert or good at sharing my knowledge because my knowledge is all secondhand. And all of our knowledge is secondhand initially. But as time goes on, we need to get better, especially if we're standing with impressionable students to listen and learn from you. Chief Avila, you do agree with that? Yeah, I, absolutely.
0: You know, I think uh, I, I think the word, you know, you, you that came to my head as soon as you started talking about what you we were talking about is consistency. You know, um, I think you need, like on a department, I think you need consistency across your shifts. Um, you don't want to uh, have one shift learning it one way and another shift learning it another way and then another shift learning it even a third way. Um, I think you have to uh, set expectations with your instructors um. Uh, with with a consistent sort of message, a uh, and I think that could be based, you know, based on um, mutually created uh, lesson plan. Um, uh, use of across the board use of, uh, you know, of course, there's eight thousand billion media uh, resources out there that you know you might want to uh, look at. I I remember um, being in a uh, a classroom. Session one time, and uh, the instructor showed us a video, and it had nothing to do with what he was talking about. You know, so I I think, I think the most important thing is is planning, and planning creates consistency uh, across the board on your department. Um, If if you're not putting a consistent message out there, then you know you're 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 not going to have a a department that you know works as sort of one unit. You know. And we all know four shifts is four shifts, but, you know, you, you, everybody's got consistency and you want to sort of create that consistency through your training.
1: That's, that's true. in the messages uh, that you're delivering when you're doing an oral presentation, a classroom lesson, you know, we learn the basics in the classroom, but then we have to move on to do the Mm hands-on. And I remember when I went to um, the fire Academy in Connecticut, not, what I did on there were instructors from New Haven teaching ladders, and the next day there were instructors from Hartford teaching ladders. And let me tell you, it was a nightmare because I had a little experience when I came here. So uh, it's not like that now. Uh, They have a consistent message, much like what you said, but I remember getting yelled at by one instructor that the other instructor taught me yesterday. And when you're in the academy, you do what you're told. Do you know what I mean? You, you don't you don't dig from your experience or anything like that. You do as you're told. So I think it was the way we foot the ladder. And I got screamed at. By instructor, the second day we were doing ladders and um, well, lieutenant so and so told me yesterday, this is the way that we're expected to do it, you know. So that makes it difficult for the student. Mm. And uh, I think that's gone. It's definitely gone away in Connecticut. But I'm sure that happens in a lot of places, like you said, shift to shift or, um, you know, a small town has two separate volunteer companies, one on one side of the tracks and one on the other side of the tracks. And the officers could be teaching two totally different mm. ways to do things, but you end up working at the same fire. Yeah. And uh,
0: we um, I, I saw a lot of that when I was was at the fire academy, you know, Um uh, I worked at two different fire academies, and and I, you know, when I got to to Monmouth, the second one, I tried, I, you know, uh, bought some of the things that I had learned at Bergen down in Monmouth, which they had never used, such, such as the click system was one of them, you know. Um, but there were also things in Bergen that I that I I learned that uh, were ran co- contrary to things I learned in Weehawken, you know, in my own department, you know, and then. Uh, there were things that I learned in Monmouth that ran contrary to things that had gone on in Bergen. For instance, one of the most common ones is, uh, where do you foot the ladder from? You know, some, uh, in Bergen, we all, I always, we foot the ladder from behind and we walk and we foot the ladder from behind in Monmouth, they foot it from in front. And, uh, I never had done that. And I quite honestly, I'm not a big fan of it, but, uh, I get it. I, it works. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it was one of those things where, uh, you see it a couple of different ways because it's not even consistent. It's not consistent even on the departments across the county because some kids will tell us, well, we learn it this way in our department. Other kids will say, we learn it this way in our department, you know, and, uh, either way, neither one is, is, is wrong. There's some pros and cons to both of them, you know, but, uh, yeah I think the the message of consistency and sometimes that's what happens that happens a lot when when we teach them at the fire academy and then they go back to their department and the department will tell them no no oh well, this is the way we do it here you know and and that's okay it's it's a way you know whether it's right wrong or indifferent and and I'm not the one to even judge that until I see them come out on the fire ground and I see what they're doing and you know you know you know ladders are raising upside down or whatever um uh, but but I think uh, I think especially uh, as a department or as an academy, if you're not consistent across the board with your teaching, um, you're just going to confuse the student, and then it it, it compromises the uh, you know I don't want to use the word integrity. That's not the right, the right word. It compromises the the perceived uh, competence of the academy and effectiveness.
1: Yeah, you know what? That's really, really important, especially today. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm sure you have. There's a lot of this lateral hiring going on now. Um, Departments are hiring people from Department A to work in Department B because they've already certified, and they don't have to put them through Mm -hmm. the academy, and they have to go through an abbreviated hiring process. I wouldn't call it a civil service process, but they'll take someone – and it's starting to become very common in Connecticut. And you see a lot of people transferring getting hired down south until a job opens up, up in New York or up in Connecticut or New Jersey. You know, they start down south somewhere where sometimes these get hired and they pay less, blah blah blah. But in Connecticut, you're starting to find people go to small departments that don't get a lot of action until another job opens up. So working five years And I'm going to say Department A because I don't want to name names of departments for five years. But now in a bigger city that they get more work and they don't have to do EMS is one example. And the pay is more. They're going to go across the board. But they've just spent five years learning how Department A throws ladders Mm -hmm. or how Department A packs hose. They use a Minuteman load um, and a pre-connect and this other department uses a flat load that you have to break and connect. Um, so the consistent you were talking about across the board in states, counties, et cetera, is really important. Um, I know in St. Louis County in Missouri, the whole county has pretty much the same SOPs. Uh, their arrival tests are based on arrival because mm-hmm. they, they're very big into quints. So, well, am I a quint or I'm an engine? Am I a truck or am I an engine? So, what they've done is first, and I don't know what they do. First, in is an engine, second, in acts as a search and forcible entry crew and ventilation crew. Uh, third, in does water supply. And I, I'm making up what the rules are, but everything is based on arrival order, right? So, you don't get two trucks showing up going, Well, I want to be the truck today. No, I, I want to be it, you know. It's so it's First in does this, second in does this, third in does that, whether it's a mutual aid company or a department from your own city. I know it doesn't work 100%, but it's really a good baseline to start at. They all have the same playbook. Whether they're good at the playbook or not is another story. Mm. Yeah.
0: You know, and and the other thing is – you know, your, your your lessons and your lesson plan should be based around your SOPs, you know, or, uh, and uh, you don't want to, you don't want to contradict your SOPs with the training that you're doing, you know, um, uh, and, and that's why if you have a good training division, they, they will be, you know, they can, uh, you know, evaluate these things to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this isn't what we're doing, you know, we have to, we have to train this way. Um, and then the other thing sometimes is is you got to be careful about uh, what people are teaching uh, often at the company level, you know, because sometimes when they are tease the company level and they don't agree with what's happening with the department, they begin to teach rogue activities. And, uh, you know, um, that sort of, you know. Is, is never in line with what, you know, the incident command is expecting you to do one thing, and all of a sudden you're doing something else because your captain who heard this somewhere else out on the internet somewhere or or saw it in a class, and, as, and, and listen, it might have been really good. It might have been excellent. But you know what? Before you put that in place on your department, if it's going to run counter to what your department is doing, you got to let the people know, you know, uh, or, or at least, you know, um, uh, like like submit something that so it can be evaluated say oh yeah okay we can change and you know we can you know use this as an alternative or we can you know change to use this on our department um uh but but you know don't just do it on your own uh because what happens is um you're upsetting the the delicate balance of of coordination on a fire ground you know
1: Yeah, I'll give you an example of that. Um, I came from New York originally. We talk about this all the time. Um, I got hired in Wallingford, Connecticut, and they had all fog nozzles and um, PDQs and task force tips, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we used them. I mean, we had a smooth board tucked away in a cabinet somewhere, but it never came out. So uh, I got promoted to lieutenant. And I talked to the chief, I'd like to try the smooth board, introducing the guys to the smoothbore. He goes, well, you, you know, you can introduce, play with them, but this is still what we're going to do. So I went with my guys, went on a couple of overtime shifts, showed them how it works and the pluses and minuses of it. So after I was lieutenant for about a year, I went to the chief. I said, you know, I really think we should put our first line, of, you know. And he said, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And then I asked him again a couple months later. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. As long as everybody on your engine is trained to use that nozzle and their pump operators are trained to understand the different flow rates and blah, 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 blah. He says, when you come on duty, you can take the smooth bore out, put it on your initial line, and at the end of your shift, it has to go back in the cabinet and you replace it with the task force tip. So this went on for a little while. And had a lieutenant from another shift on overtime. Or I was on overtime. No, I, he had to be on overtime. We had a nasty, nasty fire. It had a rain roof. And the old asphalt was in between. And it was just a nightmare. It was a, a big, big house. Big old house. And he was one of the guys who was against it so much. He was so against it. They're stupid. You know, they kink, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, after fire, he goes, hey, this thing's pretty cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So he started on his shift. He asked the chief if he could do it. And he was told the same things, blah, 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 blah. You know, as long as your pump operators understands about and right down the line. And then it started. And within a year of that, that became the initial attack line on all the engines in the city. And, uh, but it it was a long process. It was probably over two years to get it instigated. Mm -hmm. And, In our private dwelling section, we use pre-connects. And we did the same thing uh, with the minute band load for the uh, private dwelling section. It's only 20 feet to the front door and, you know, the houses are two or three stories, two and a half stories. So every shift had a pack and stretch, pack and stretch in our training tower and come to a mutual agreement between the four shifts, whether we were going to adopt this. But everybody had to try it. And become proficient in its use. And it eventually became the rear pre-connect was a Minuteman load with uh, 250 feet on it. Mm-hmm. And again, over a year to go through this process, you know. And one captain was out of his mind about this, you know. You new guys think you're running everything changed. I go, well, this actually came from the chief cap. You know, <laughs> he wanted us to do this, but whatever. But you have to make sure it gets absorbed. And use, not just the knowledge, Mm -hmm. but the practice, you know, um, you got to do it. And again, you were a ladder man for a lot of years. Talking about throwing a 35-foot ladder is not the same as throwing a 35-foot ladder. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. Now, you may know how to do it, Mm -hmm. but are you proficient?
0: Yeah, how quickly can you get that up there? You know, you go back to the fire in Meridian, Connecticut. Uh, Meriden, Connecticut right? How quick can you get it up there? Yeah. How how fast can you get it to the proper target? You know, how how fast can you get yeah. up that ladder? You know, it's 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 a function of how much you've trained with it, how much you know that piece of equipment, and. and you know ladders and again to me ladders ladders are one of those pieces of equipment that can make you look really stupid in front of a lot of people and uh because most people know if you screw up a ladder operation most people don't know if you screw up a hose line operation you get firefighters know you know but uh most civilians will not uh sort of know when you know you're you're wrestling with spaghetti in the front yard um uh, especially if you're not yelling and screaming you you know uh, but a ground ladder, you know, you drop it, you raise it upside down, you you, you know, you're extending it and it, keep, it keeps dropping down or you keep having to adjust it. That stuff's pretty evident,
1: you know. It absolutely is. And where that problem comes in, in smaller departments, that mm. they don't have a truck. So their engine's are on the side of the ladder. I mean, the side of the engine. Mm-hmm. So your ladders are on, on the side. And, you know, sometimes when I'm teaching – When was the last time you took that 24 off off your engine? We're an engine company. But what happens when you're it? You know, they get complacent about the ladder. Yeah, we have ladders on our engine, but we never use them until you need to. Until you need to, exactly.
0: Well, I was in a class recently, and uh, we were talking about Uh, I was doing the, when buildings changed the rule class, rules class, we were talking about large area structures. And, uh, the question I had was, you know, who has ever done lifeline training and, uh, you know, maybe like two people in the class and it was a pretty big class, you know, raised their hand. Um, and I was like, who's got a policy on it? You know, who's ever used it? You know, I'm sorry, who used it in, in, you know, in on an incident, then like two hands went up, you know, and then you know, who's trained on it? Some more hands went up, but who's trained on it in the last year? Hands went down. You know, um who's got a policy? Hands went down. Uh you know, so, you know, again, that that's that's an ins that's a uh an evolution for a high risk, low frequency incident that in itself is high risk and low frequency. You know? Yeah. You know, and uh I mean, it, it requires a, a lot of things to go right if you're doing it right, and it's tough even when you do it right. You know, you need you need to uh, you know monitor you know submersion times. You need to you know make sure you know guys are giving proper reports. They you know make sure they're laying the line out properly, and you know not not uh uh not traversing areas that weren't coming back that weren't traversed going in. You know, there's lots of different ways to do it, and there's – but. Um, if you're not doing it the day that the day it's, it's just like roof ventilation, the day at a fire should never be the first time that you actually do this because it, it just puts you in a really, really bad place, you know? Um, and that's one of those things too. How many, how many people are proficient with, with, uh, with the power source, how many people have ever used the power saw up on a roof and, and do they know it, even if it's uh, an acquired structure, you know, do they know what to do? Do they know the safety aspects of it? Do they know how to operate properly? Do they know about the circle of danger. Like there's lots of different things that, that you have to be, um, you know, concerned with. I mean, we could do a whole class on roof operations here, you know, and we, we probably have before, but maybe
1: not. Yeah. Um, and keep that in mind. Well, along, along the same line, and I'll use New York State as an example New York State has a law that every firefighter has to be issued. Uh, a PSS system, a bailout system. Mm-hmm. So they are all issued a bailout system. Even if the community only has two-story houses in it or ranches, they're all issued it. It's a good law. Whenever I teach there, I always, I always ask the question, when was the last time you trained on it? And you get everybody staring at you. Yeah. And then you go, well, we have to do it once a year. So I asked them, well, when was the last time you did it? Well, it was um, – Last September. So that's 11 months ago, say, we're talking about right now. That was 11 months ago. When you're barely out a window because you're about to burn to death, do you think practicing 11 months ago, you can do that yeah. without making a mistake? you are going to remember how to do it with your gloves on. It's something else we do, and I'll get to that in a training oh, session. The stress, the stress. Do everything with your gloves on. The stress. And you... Do your wraps the wrong way or you load the PSS device the wrong way and the brake is upside down and you go sailing down. Will you be able to do it when your life depends on it? Yeah. If you're not good at it during practice and training. Right. And and I think that's all of our skills. When you're under the gun and you're scared that you're going to die and your buddy next to you, you're scared he's going to die, will you be able to do it? Mm. yeah are you that good i think it's no you're not that good if you're only training once a year
0: yeah well that's and that's the the standard right you only have to do the do it once a year um i believe to qualify you got to do nine slides right uh a three series of three right i think one's on the windowsill uh one is uh uh in the back i don't remember it exactly but i know one of them is uh the, the last one is your you're your, your hooded you' you're your facially obscured um, so in North Hudson what they do is is instead of doing that once a year the three times they each do they do it twice a year but and we have a tower that we use but when you're not assigned to do it that particular month um, you don't have to do your three slides you have to deploy it at grade level and and repack it. Everybody has to do that at least once once a month if they're not uh, actually up on the uh, up on the platform, which they do twice a year. You know, so we 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 double it, and uh, <clears throat> you know, it's 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 about you know proficiency and confidence with the tools that you're working with. You know, yeah. um, and and really that that when you look at training, that that's really what your goals are: proficiency and confidence, right? Right. Right. And proficiency and competence, I I guess, are the same thing, right?
1: Yeah. Competence and confidence. And confidence. You know. Confidence is also part of it. And that goes back to what I was just talking about, talking about raising a 35-foot ladder or actually doing it. Um, You know, you talk about training, like shift training or Monday night training in a volunteer firehouse or Sunday morning. Oh, you know what? I've stretched – a two and a half, a hundred times. I, we don't need to do it again. Are you good at it? Are you proficient and competent at it? Um, you know, stretching a hose in a parking lot between pallets, you know, get an acquired structure. Um, understand, depending on the nozzle and the hose you're using, how to chase kinks. Um, you know, some nozzles, the hose kinks easier some you know i'm not an expert on different hose manufacturing and all that but can you get around turns? are you getting into a bedroom with you know two twin beds a dresser or going up the stairs with a, a scissor staircase where you got to go up a, you know are you on the inside of the, the loop of hose or are you on the outside yeah you can do it when you're at the front door Do you bring it from the side and then bend it to get it in the front door Mm -hmm. or do you flake it out so it goes straight and smoothly into the building and up the stairs? That takes practice. Just because Jim Duffy told you in a classroom that that's what you should do, are you going to remember at 2 o'clock in the morning when you just woke up Mm -hmm. and they're saying there are people trapped and the truck company's going above the fire to search? And you're the engine company and the fire is on the first floor are you going to get in there you're going to get it kinked are you going to get it knotted under the dining room table as you stretch to the back all that is practice and that i call training classroom i call learning and i mm-hmm. try to separate them you know oh i know how to do this well when did you do it last well in recruit school <laughs> you've been on a job five years mm-hmm. and in some places That's the norm. You're a firefighter one and you're good to go. You don't have to recertify on firefighter one, do you, in any state in the the country? Um, Well, I know in
0: like, like I think it's Ohio or Illinois, you have to have CEUs to maintain your firefighter one. We don't have that in New Jersey. That's awesome. And to be quite honest, I think it's, listen, EMTs have to have CEUs. Absolutely. Why why do firefighters not have to have CUs? you know, and and even if you did it like, you know, you had to have like 18 CEUs over like a three year period or something like that. You don't make, you don't make it so it's unattainable. You just make it so that it is, it is somewhere between unattainable and somewhere unattainable and, and ridiculously easy to do, Yeah, you know, to, to (laughs) you know, um, but uh, yeah, I believe Ohio is one. Maybe Illinois. There are definitely departments that have that. New Jersey's not one of them. And in- I think that's great. completely
1: disagreeable. Well, my department, um, it's not a state rule or county rules. Our department, everybody had to demonstrate competency in all the one thousand one competencies, mm-hmm. um, the JPRS. Now, you don't have to go. Okay, today we're going to do SCBA. And you're going to do this, 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 this. Some of them you can combine. So raising a 24-foot ladder and then a roof ladder to cut a roof. You know, you can do that. That's, you know, the saw that's raising the ladder, raising the roof. You know, so you can combine them. Uh, You can do a live fire training in your tower, and you meet multiple competencies. But you can't put the guys on the engine company just do engine work. They have to rotate through the ladder work. Or you could do them out. You know, okay, um, hey, you know what? Um, Tomorrow's day shift. Everybody's going to show me how to inspect SCBA. You know what I mean? Everybody does that. But it was a department requirement, and the company office is responsible that their people – met these requirements mm-hmm. but the quarterly drills we did as a department would cover a lot of them you know working um low visibility so you do live fire training and you've covered many yeah. things um but you're firefighter one for life so i go join the volunteer fire department oh i'm a firefighter one um i'm going to just give you one more example there was this guy who got on, actually was in the same recruit class I was in the academy. He never made, never made a hydrant in his life. And he, um, good guy, small rural fire department, all farms and, and ranches and stuff like that. There's, there's no hydrants. There's one in front of the firehouse so they could fill tankers. So he was in the academy and he was a fire too and never made a hydrant. I'm like, how is that possible? even though his department doesn't have it to get that certificate that says Mm -hmm. firefighter one, even if it's a dummy hydrant or you go to a a neighboring community to wrap a hydrant and hook it up, they should have it. And you know what? There, nobody who's better than his department at getting water out of a pond. You know, that's not what they did, but if you're going to go join a different department that has hydrants, and you say I'm a firewoman and at two o'clock in the morning, the first day you're there, your job is to make the hydrant. Mm. Yeah, you know, Wallingford's hydrants open the wrong way. Is that right? You have to turn it clockwise to open. Oh, and well, I that, is, that them, is the wrong way.
0: Yeah,
1: maybe it's yeah, the right way. Is while well, it's one manufacturer, all their hydrants open that way. I don't know. Remember which one it is. But they also, other towns have it, but a manufacturer makes it so it goes that way. Hmm. And, again, my habit, even after 30 years in Wallingford from my baseline, it was counterclockwise. And every time I would start to go left, I'd go, oops, got to go the other way. Yeah. Oh, man. That was hard for me to learn. Sure. I couldn't unlearn. You got to unlearn the other thing. Left is Lucy. But then,
0: but then you go out to, onto mutual aid, and now you got to do it the other way.
1: Yeah. Or like the old days, different threads. Yeah, you better have, you better have the adapter for. That's not the old days for us.
0: That's not the old days for us. Um, God, New New York City, Jersey City, and Hobo can use New York standard thread. North Hudson and and everybody else around us uses National uh national standards new york core that's what they use we use national new york standards. that's what, so that's but, what used to happen on long island when we go to the lincoln tunnel on the new jersey side of the lincoln tunnel there's there's a mark in the middle new jersey side of the lincoln tunnel uh there is an adapter on on the, the cabinets in the lincoln tunnel once you cross to the new york side there is no adapter. It's New York City, New York's corporation, but there's an adapter inside the cabinet for us to put on. So, if New York City is working on our side, they have to remove the adapter. If we're working on their side, we have to put the adapter on. It's the same with Jersey City and Hoboken. We we have to use we have to use adapters for everything. Like our stuff fits theirs, but it's sloppy. Their stuff doesn't fit ours. So, you know, you got that's that's different training. This before we regionalized, we used to we used to train um, with the other departments, and you know um, we uh, you know because the North Hudson departments, which became the North Hudson departments, we all had had national standard thread, you know. So, but we all used to use different things. There was manifolds, and there was five inch. There was. Uh, there was three inch. There was, uh, uh, water thieves. I mean, it was all that. And we, you know, we had to familiarize everybody because we were always working together. You know, we were dispatched out of the same place. It was, you know, um, but you know, you talk about, um, 1001, right? Uh, NFPA 1001. Um, we have a comprehensive training program in North Hudson. I was one of the ones that helped put it together with a guy named Marty Mandel and a guy, Mark Lorenz, a couple of chiefs. And uh, it's it's extremely comprehensive. There are, I think, four forms that go with it. Uh, there's a, T3, a T11, 12, 13, and 14, I believe. Um, uh, T11 is recertification of 1001 so you have to recertify in 1001 every year and that's part of our our training schedule they'll say perfect okay, yeah this month you're going to do uh, ladders this month you're going to you know you're going to do a drill that has ladders and and you bring ladders up a hole. so you could, and then it would just say you can check off this box this box and this box yeah. so it would tell you what what to check off on the 1011 form right 1012 was department sop stuff um 1013 was um uh things that that um uh mandated stuff 1013 the form T13 was mandated stuff like bloodborne pathogens and all that sort of stuff and uh T14 was for officers they would uh um they would have to uh like read the officer book and then there was certain other things that they would do right but the other thing that you have to do that um that's part of our training uh, program is you have to document six hours of live SCBA training every year. How many departments actually do that? You have to document it. And, and our, on our form would say, you know, it'd be maybe like 12 of them, SCBA, 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 and they would just have to put the date in of when it was done, which would then be backed up against the training form that was filled out for that particular day of training. You know, so they would they would have to do that. And then there would also be uh, on that form. There would be uh, the um, uh, uh, the personal safety system slides, you know, slide on grade, slide on grade, slide on grade, slide on grade, slide from platform, slide from platform, because they would do it twice a year. And then the other 10 times it would be slide on grade. So, you know, we have we have really well thought out and well. Um, documented training, Um, you know, that doesn't mean it's the greatest training in the world. It just means it's set up very well. Uh, And again, then it's, it's, you know, the sort of wild card of who's given the training, who's, you know, um, uh, who is doing the training. Are they just going through the motions, you know, and and, you know, it runs the whole gamut, you know? Um, Yes, sir. But you know, it's, if you don't have a plan in place, you're guaranteed to pretty much fail. You know, if you have a plan in place, at, at least you're going to wind up with some consistency. And, and you can identify places where the plan is failing. So that allows you now to figure out, well, we can need lesson plans for this lesson. Now we need train to train us here. Uh, maybe we need uh, new equipment. What are we doing? we have new equipment? You know, like we always had when we got new equipment, there were, there were uh, before you put it in service, there were three things that were done. There would be an SOP on it, um, uh, training on it, uh, on how to operate it, and uh, a maintenance program for it that everybody had. I think that's how it worked out. I may be explaining it wrong, but every new piece of equipment requires those three things, uh, uh, training, maintenance, and operation. You know, So every piece of equipment that we got would have that. And then once the piece went in service, those things would go into those, you know, this is in the SOP book, this is in the training manual, and this is in the maintenance manual, you know, so, you know, that you have this ability to grab things, you know, it's at your fingertips that, okay, well, you know, we got to, we got to, you know, do the maintenance on this thing this month, it's our shifts turn, you know, like, what do we got to do, you know, because we haven't done it in three months or six months, you know, because sometimes some certain tools, different maintenance things are assigned quarterly. Every, well, it'll be every month. Yes. So in The first platoon has it January, February, and March, you know, but that means the fourth platoon has, by the time they get it again, they haven't had it in nine months, you know, so they have to then re-familiarize with the maintenance plan for it. Even though they've trained on it and operated and everything else, they have to familiarize right. the maintenance plan. So it's, it's a comprehensive, they're all mechanisms in place to make us better, to relieve liability, uh, to, you know, and uh, and and just you know, and they keep us safe, you know.
1: Yeah, it, that sounds all super. But like you said, there's the dark horse in there. Is the guy just pencil whipping it, you know? Because yeah, we as much as I hate to admit it, there are some fire company officers that. Yeah, yeah, ah. you know here. Ah. Time me a clove hitch. You know, okay, you're good with ropes and knots for this month. Good enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that's unfortunate, and, and it's difficult to oversee that. And the bigger the department, the harder it is. You just have to have good officers. But then there's the other side, the smaller departments and the smaller volunteer departments. You know, oh, it's Monday night training. What are we going to train on tonight? Oh, let's do driver training. You know, and they drive around town, they get Carvel ice cream on the way back, and then Mm -hmm. they go back. We did drive a training. But one of the things you were talking about, well-documented, we actually got cited by OSHA in Wallingford while I was there. Not because we didn't do the training, because the guys weren't signing the form Mm -hmm. that they did it. Mm -hmm. So they'd be checked off. But if they didn't sign the form, you could get cited for that. I was here. I did this. Yeah. You know, which I never knew. Well, you know, we were doing so much training, but we weren't documenting it correctly. You also have to put it in the house journal. You know, journal. So, you know yes. the training should be in the house journal. Although those are going away. Those are disappearing. Mm. They are disappearing throughout this country now with the with the computer systems well, that everybody puts everything in. Yeah,
0: house journal can be on the computer, but we did both. Yeah. We, we, had, we had a house journal. You know, and even a deputy had a journal, but we also had another journal on the computer that was a little more informal in a way, a little more on guess on stuff. Hey, look at this. This is going on. That's going on. But the house journal will be where you put the alarms and and, and the staffing and all that sort of thing, sick leave, everything else. But, yeah, a lot of people are doing that on computers now, you know, and as long as it's backed up on a server, you know, is what it is.
1: One of the problems with the computer, it's checklists, when you wrote in the journal, we did this. Uh, firefighter Jones needs a little retraining on, I don't know, a certain knot or something. He has difficulty with the practice it. You know, you can write all that stuff down. Um, in On the computer, I find that most people just check, 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 check. Yeah, check.
0: yeah. the computer does a lot uh, of that. And-
1: you know, but again, you know, and, and you, that's unfortunate.
0: You can make forms that have, you know, comment sections and things like that. You know, you
1: can do it right on the computer. At the bottom, it says comments, but yeah. you know, yep, did this, did this, did this. You know, yeah. and uh that's unfortunate. Well, that, that brings. Um, you to, you know, I like. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, you're still on the same subject. Yeah, you know, that, that
0: like brings you to documentation. Like, you're if you're a company officer, you need to document everything properly. You never know when you're going to be called on the carpet or or into a courtroom to defend your your actions. And if you don't have them written down uh, in the proper place and done in the proper way, then, you know, you didn't do
1: them. Yep. In departments that do AMS, they're better at that. Mm. Mm. Because when you do the run form or the PCR, patient care report, it's called today, um, if you didn't write it, you didn't do it you know what I mean? Right. His blood pre- If you didn't write his blood pressure was 120 over 80 or whatever. If you didn't write it down, you did not do it. I checked his pulse. If you didn't write it, you didn't do it. And in the when will you fleece me and how attorneys at law could, uh, Mr. Duffy, um, how come you didn't take a pulse of this patient when you came in? I did. Well, can you show me where it says that on a patient care report that you checked the pulse? Mm. Well, I did it because I always do it. Yeah. But it doesn't say that. You know, it says you applied the cervical collar mm. at this accident. But it doesn't say you took a pulse. So why would you write, I put a cervical collar on but not I took his pulse? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where your, li- your liability is always high. But on EMS, it's much higher. You know, um, And and at fires, unless it goes wrong. Yeah, I was going to say,
0: it's always higher until it gets higher on the fire ground.
1: You know? Right. So if nothing goes wrong and you didn't document, nothing goes wrong. And for five years, you haven't been doing shitty documentation. Mm -hmm. We went, we stretched the line, we put the fire out. Um, Until there's a life loss. Um, The owner of the building says, you know, and now people are suing because you fought the fire wrong, according to some expert he found yeah you know so that's all coming up i'd like to change gears a little bit okay um i want to talk to the instructors um and i want to talk about preparation what makes you want to be an instructor um, how to be ready and how to deliver a good program both hands-on and classroom i personally think a newer firefighter, someone who's becoming more senior and he wants to get involved in teaching, he should mm-hmm. start with the hands-on stuff. Um, most firefighters are comfortable with the hands-on stuff. Um, so say you're assigned to a truck, you've started the soar a dozen times. Now you have a new probie. A good way to start teaching or instructing is to take that probie and show them um, your K-12 or your circular saw or your roof saw or your chainsaw and go over it step by step with the proby. and T and eventually you'll get more comfortable doing it hands-on and maybe doing more advanced stuff. And, um, as you get better at that and you're more comfortable in front of groups, getting in front of the classroom will make you a better instructor, but preparation, um, I remember the first class I taught in a firefighter, one class I was still a firefighter. I was shitting in my pants, although I could talk on a truck room floor with anybody mm-hmm. how to do it, Yeah. but doing a, you know, a recruit class, I was, I was petrified, but I made sure I know I was doing SCBA that night, but I knew every piece of the SCBA, every single piece, anything that can go wrong with mm-hmm. it, and so when I did the class, I was more comfortable, but I was still really, really nervous. So you have to build your skills. And uh, as part of this discussion, don't teach above your head. You know, say the chief wants you to do ropes and knots. You know what? I suck. I I, I can't, and I'm not talking about me, although now that I'm retired, I can't tie a knot. But (laughs) I was really good at knots. I could do anything. So that's a subject that I should teach scba maintenance i i could do hazmat on the shift sometimes i had to do hazmat i'm not the person who should be talking hazmat at at incidents i would park one of my lieutenants right next to me dave what should i do that's exactly what i did (laughs) um he was brilliant at hazmat and chemistry so you know what Someone else is gonna to have to take care of that company because you're sitting right next to me so I don't kill somebody. Yeah, I could look in the books and say, okay, we should be doing this, but he'll just recite it off his head and he knows. So you gotta trust your people and you have to know what your ability allows. Um, any thoughts on that? Do you agree with me that starting hands-on is a better way to start? And it doesn't have to be, but that's where I was, I, I think most firefighters are more comfortable with the hands-on. Oh, oh, totally, body.
0: totally. I, I think that you need, you know, the, the preliminary, preliminary foundation, you know, of, you know, this is what we're going to do, uh, you know. Um, this is why we know who, when, when, why, and how. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do it, and this is, you know, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do it, and I'm going to tell you what we did, you know.
1: Um, right. I, I, I'm going to add one thing to that. Tell them what. What we're gonna do do it together and then they do it on their own and then have them tell you what they did right yeah, yeah. I do uh, yeah we do you
0: do-hmm yeah I mean and it works yeah I think you you know you you have you have to have structure you know no, no matter what it is but that structure should be consistent too you know especially when you have a newer firefighter you know structure and 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 uh, you know, also in the scheduling, look, you know, we're going to we're going to train this time every day unless something else is going on, you know, and then we're going we're gonna to do this every day unless something else is going. On. It's hard, you know, it's hard to do. But um, I think the most important <laughs> attribute of a, of, of a trainer is to give a shit. You know, if you care, um, everybody will know, you know, everybody can tell everybody can tell when you don't even a brand new guy. Can tell when the guy teaching him just doesn't care. You know, he's just he's just you know checking a box and he's he's just going through it because because uh, he has to, and uh, and and he's obviously not motivated at all. You know, and and that's bad for the student as well. But I, I think I think that that's one of the most important things. You know, as we said, you know, competency, confidence, and caring. You know, there's, there's a different, there's a different three C's than people normally put out there. Right. You know, caring is yes, really important. you know, and, and you know what the other thing is too. learn how to light a fire under somebody's ass, you know, know how to do that. You guys did that for me when we did those videos, you know, down in, out in Connecticut, you know, yeah, yeah. You lit my fire, you know, and, and, um, you have to learn how to do that and the other thing is if you're the trainee you have to be looking for that you have to be looking for something that is going to reignite your passion i mean for me i'm really i'm really uh fortunate because i've had a lot of people reignite my passion throughout my career and you would say well you know listen you know you're you're an author you've done this you've done that how you know you needed to reignite your passion yeah Absolutely. You know, everybody gets stale once in a while, you know, and I've, I've been lucky enough to have some great, great mentors, reignite my passion. Yesterday, Jerry Tracy, Jerry Tracy, Stephen (laughs) Mosser, these guys in the city reignited my passion. I, I taught it, you know, and, and I didn't really talk about this, but I was humbled and honored to be asked to teach at the Joey D conference this past weekend. And, uh, you know, you want to talk about motivated people and and people on a mission and, and, a, and an unbelievable foundation. And, uh, you know, um, I got to uh, uh, listen to the story of, of what happened there on Black Sunday. And, and I've heard it before, but this was the only time or the first time for me that the three surviving guys were there at a round table. They were there and uh, they were talking about it. And uh, that's what a lot of other people said. They've seen two of them together, one one, at one, but very few had seen three at one time, and not for a long time. So that was really, really good. They also had a guy there doing lithium-ion batteries. I don't remember his name, but he was really good. He was a FDNY hazmat guy. And then, of course, I got the, the, uh, the distinction and the great honor of following Frank Lieb, which is not the easiest thing to do. Frank Lieb did a great thing about safety and being battle-ready, and uh, I I did my strategic decision making, and, and I have to be quite honest. I was, uh, you know, I was I was a little bit. I felt a little off my game, a little intimidated, you know, just just to be in in the arena that I was in, you know, and asked to speak there. I mean, it worked out okay. I you know I I uh, I I think I, uh, I I did very well, um, but you know I I could feel. Um, a little bit uh, out of my element, in, in, so to speak, uh, and and the one thing they had the night before um, they had the lectures, they had a, a thing where that that book came out. Uh, we saved New York, or well, they saved New York, they saved New York, and they had uh, a dinner, and they had a ton of old retired New York City guys that were featured in the book. That uh, you know, some of them I, you know i have heard of, some of them I didn't, but. They were all there to sign the book, you know. And you know, Mike Dugan was there, and Salka was there. And um, but I got to I got to meet and talk to you know uh, like God, Louis Andrade, and and Valenzano from Ladder Thirty One, and, and and Kilduff was there, and Tommy Richardson was there. It was just a so it was just a you know uh, it it was it was an awesome experience, and, and again you know reignited my passion. You know and uh that's what you got to do as a a trainer you know it's your job is to reignite other people's passion but in order to do that you got to know how to look for know how to look for places to reignite your own and here's the plug the fdic is the place to do that
1: yes sir yes sir you're absolutely correct right see how i tied Um, that right it always it always recharges my batteries you spoke about uh, Chief Richardson. Um, I was teaching, uh, actually, you, you got it for next year, you're teaching at the Suffolk County Fire Chiefs uh, Scholarship Fund. I am? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, You. you I hooked you up with them and, and you. he told me you're gonna do it and Tom Merrill's gonna do it next year. Nice, thank you. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm teaching the class and uh, Chief Richardson works and I go, I'm teaching in 100% Volunteer community on Eastern Long Island, uh, about 250 people, and Chief Richardson sitting in the back. So, first break, I go up and I talk to him. He's still a volley in, in Yapank, I think, in, in New York, and still into it. You know, he comes and shows up at a class I'm doing about house fires, you know, chief of the biggest fire department in the world. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's mind boggling. You know, you sit there and and you sit there and, and, and you're thinking like, well, um, what's he going to think? But really, my target is the rest of the students. I can't worry about him. But I was, like you said, truly honored to speak to him on the breaks and afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he had some kind words about the class. But really, your you with is going to make you better all the time. The only problem is when something like that happens I have no saliva for the first fifteen minutes. Yeah, I didn't have saliva
0: (laughs) in this class, and and I couldn't. I I was trying to find the water gun, the water. Then my my highlighter. I was using somebody else's. (laughs) I didn't know how to use it, and every time I was hit, and I was blacking the screen out, and I was like, oh, you know. So I didn't have the opportunity to use. You know, you have the the laser. I couldn't find the laser, you know. But I didn't (laughs) because I only had ninety minutes. I, I couldn't like stop. Get my laser. Put this laser in, you know, and so it was. Yeah, you know. I'm
1: sure you did fine. You wouldn't have been. On my standards, there it was a bit of a train
0: wreck. But but it but it, it would, yeah. I thought it was well received. I got some very good reviews on it. Um, nobody said it sucked. Maybe they didn't want to tell me it did. But uh, you know, um, I was very honored because uh, I looked at. Trust me,
1: Dugan would tell you if you sucked.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he would. I looked at. I just saw him yesterday too. And I looked at the, um, uh, and, and actually a few people there had had heard about the conference that I saw yesterday at the, the high rise thing and said they heard, you know, I heard, heard your, your talk went really, really well. So, you know, that's good. You know, I guess you're your your, your biggest uh, critic, I guess, you know.
1: Um, if you're doing it right, there are a lot of people think they're perfect and they're great every time. Yeah. And yeah. this is something I want to discuss uh, I, about. I don't think. Watch watch your egos. If you're not nervous, every time you speak a little bit, you're not doing it right or you don't care. I always have a little bit of the jitters and I won't say, you know, I'm sweating or anything, but I have to feel the audience out. I have to Mm. see that I'm connecting. Once I connect with them, it just rolls. Yeah. But you always, every room you speak in, if you're not a little uncomfortable, to me, it says you don't care or you just have an ego too big that you probably shouldn't be doing. Maybe what you do is great, mm. but you know what? You got to care. Like you said, you have to care. And I see some instructors as I travel and um, it's all about them. And that always disappoints me. It's yes, I want to do good. I I want to be proud of myself But you're there for your students, and if you're worried about how this sets you up for your next class or your your next book or your next video, um, that's a problem. Mm. You got to look at your students. You got to help your students. You got to make them succeed. At least understand and make a light bulb go on of the heads. They could disagree with what I'm saying, and I'm okay with that because. Mm If it works in my department and has for me in the past, it may not work for them. Right. They are. But at least they're thinking and they're responding and um, they appreciate your time. I learned from them many times, as I know you do. Um, But you got to leave the egos out of it. You got to go out there, share your knowledge um, and be honest about the knowledge you have. Don't make up stuff. Don't tell other people's war stories. Although I always tell one of yours, I always tell the one about the speedy dry in the compartment. Um, <laughs> I always tell her, I said, this is not my war story, but this is so important. You have to be ready. Don't mm. leave it for the next shift. That's right. I think that that is a great lesson, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I do share that one a lot. Um, and most of the time when I share war stories, it's where I screwed up, not oh. where I was the hero. It's where I made a bad decision mm-hmm. And something bad happened because of my bad decision. And those are the ones I share. Yeah, it's okay to make mistakes. You're an instructor. It's okay to make mistakes. But, you know.
0: But I don't uh, want them making the
1: same mistake. I don't want them making the same mistake I made. I usually use it in size-up things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I probably told the story. I pulled up a house early in the morning. I was a young lieutenant. And the woman goes, Grandpa's downstairs. Grandpa's downstairs. And it was a pretty good basement and first floor fire so send all the resources to the basement um a couple minutes later, maybe six minutes later the truck says we got a victim on the first floor so um you know they pulled him out he was in a wheelchair unfortunately he expired what i learned from that she it was a mother daughter you know in a mother daughter houses is, yeah. you know where the in laws mm-hmm. so she lived on the second floor she walked up her smoke alarm was going off her bedroom was filled with smoke she ran down the stairs she met me at the curb screaming Grandpa's downstairs Grandpa's downstairs so she's in a panic in her mind she just woke up in a bedroom Grandpa's downstairs me I heard Grandpa's downstairs and assumed what I recommend from that incident is where Tell me exactly where grandpa is Yeah. point to the room. Don't just assume. Yeah. I knew what she went downstairs and her downstairs are two different things. Right. Because again, she woke up Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night and she met me on the street downstairs, downstairs. Well, grandpa lives downstairs in her mind. To me, I know everything. I'm a young Lieutenant. I'm going downstairs. So, it was just a valuable lesson for me. I've always asked where anytime anybody told me somebody was in there. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. Cool.
1: So I'd like to move on to FDIC a little bit, and I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but I'm going to tell our listeners, uh, the Mikey Mikey show, um, Mike Galliano and Mike Dugan, they do a podcast much like this one. They did one with David Rhodes and Diane and, um, about how to become a speaker at FDIC. It's not mystical. If you have something to share, there are suggestions that they give in that podcast. So if you Google it or you go to Firehouse and you try to find the archives, it'll help you get there. Um, But don't start at FDIC. Start somewhere sooner. And um, again, when you get there, uh, leave your ego at the door, Um, just like any other classroom you're presenting. uh, FDIC is... Been a wonderful experience for me. Um, I always sweat whether I'm going to get picked again this year or next year or whatever. Uh, It's not a given for anybody. And um, make sure you bring something that's worth sharing. And, um, you know, watch that podcast, it'll help you. Yes, absolutely. uh, You know, in conclusion, for instructors and people hiring instructors. Make sure it's someone who's done what you're hiring them to teach about. Um, And again, I I take that out of the shift stuff because the company officers are going to be assigned to do that training, whether he's actually used a bailout system in a real incident. You know, we all have. So those things. But um, if you're doing a class, make sure it's something you're familiar with. I would never do a high-rise class. I would never do a hazmat class, um, you know. And if you're given something you're not comfortable with, study. Look, read, talk Mm -hmm. to people who are good at it. Make sure to have all the answers. And you won't. Someone's going to ask you a question you don't know. You know what? Here's my card. Here's my number. I'm going to find out for you. Send me an email, and, and I'll send you when I find out. Like farce. I know this much about farce. You know, so um, fi- go find out and give them the information you can. And I know you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, any more about teaching, instruction, or, sh- or um, training that you'd like to discuss? Um, I think... Uh...
0: I think you you kind of hit it on the head. If you're going to teach something, learn everything about it. Um, don't make stuff up, um, and don't don't wing it. I think that's that's important, um, and be genuine and approachable. But yeah, I think think uh, yeah, you hit that on the head right there, Duff.
1: Yeah, I gotta I gotta be And one thing I like to add, and I know you have it, and I know I have it, passion. Be passionate. Be excited when you talk and walk around the room. Don't stand there and read slides. Be excited. It will translate to them being excited. Not all of them. Some people are like, yeah, this guy's an asshole. And that's okay. Everybody's not going to like what I have to say. And I'm okay with that. Um, before we say goodnight, I want to say one thing. Um, let's see if I can get this in here. That's my dad. Um, this is uh, Veterans Day is next week. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad served in World War II, and he served uh, during Korea, not in Korea. He actually was in Yugoslavia during the Korean War. Um, But you know what? This country is is awesome, and I I never served. I served in a different capacity in the fire service. But um, the people who serve, the men and women who serve in our armed forces are awesome. And I am so grateful for them, and their families pay the price for them to go away, even if they come back in one piece um, they had to give him up and share him with us for a while. My dad that I just showed you his picture, uh, my oldest brother was born while he was deployed. You know, and, and I think about that. My mom was alone when my oldest brother was, uh, was born because he was deployed on a, on a heavy cruiser. So anyway, um, you know, if you see a veteran or if you know a veteran, say thank you to them. Um, I am so thrilled that we have people willing to do that. I know less and less people are willing to do that, but I think it's uh, really, really important and, and really important for you guys to say thank you.